Good evening, and welcome to the Lapid Monkey Music Show. Today we have on Steve Kilby. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. <laughs> Steve, we know Steve from the <laughs> church. Um, the easy, the easy thing you would know him is from Under the Milky Way. We all know that song, the haunting, haunting song, beautiful. Um, but you guys are celebrating what forty years now? Is it over, a little over 40, forty years, right? Forty-two years. Forty-two years. That's insane. I'm. I'm celebrating 42 years of being in my band, but unfortunately all the other members that started with me uh, are no longer there. Yeah. You're supposed to say I'm celebrating 42 years, but magically I'm only 56. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I don't know how you did that. That's amazing. You started so young. Um, (laughs) With the sound that you guys came up with, I mean – was it influenced from the outside of other bands or was it a sound you created? Because in the seventies, I don't, I can't think of a lot of bands that had that dreamy psychedelic sound. I mean, similar artists, but you guys kind of honed in to your own sound from the very beginning. It wasn't like you had albums that we didn't did. sound the same. We did. Um, we were very lucky. We, um, we had good players. Um, Peter Coppers already had his sort of thing going with his echo and his uh, chorus pedal and, he had a very distinctive way of playing. I'd been playing with him before. And I've been struggling to, for a long time to write some decent songs. And I really applied myself. And when we kicked off, we already had a I ha, I did have a you know, a bunch of decent songs. Peter was did have his distinctive sound. And then Marty Wilson Piper joined and by our second album, we really just completely locked into our own sound. Um, and we had a great producer in Bob Clearmountain who did the second album, The Blue yeah. Crusade. And um, it was, uh, we sounded, we, we, we immediately could see how we should sound. And it's, it's really hard because, you know, the hardest thing in rock and roll is to have your own sound. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's much easier to be a really good player. And, I know an endless amount of people who are better players than I am and can play more instruments and all that things. But none of them, the thing about the church, we immediately sort of could see how, how we should be and we sort of stuck to that. And yeah. I think we were. it's part luck and part just the, having the right people at the right time. One of the things I didn't know, when you guys first started off, how long were you together and did you guys, before you got a, a, a deal, and did you guys do any cover songs and stuff? Because I'm always interested because usually when a band starts messing around and that always helps with the sound. Did you guys even do any other music before or did you just do originals right out of the gate? We, um, well, the, the one part of the story that's quite important was that in 1977, TIAC released the first home recording setup. Before that, it was very hard to... Um, to do home recording, um, you would need you would have needed this great big machine, and there were guys in white coats. You know how you see the Beatles, yeah, it used to be, and you need a lot of equipment and a lot of sort of know how. Tiak made that really easy for people by releasing a domestic four track machine, and so when that came out, I started to learn how to write songs like myself um, because I could never writing a song on an acoustic guitar and then getting a band to translate it into rock and roll never sort of really worked out for me. But when I could write a bunch of songs on the T-Act and then give it to them and, and it was all kind of finished, 
I sort of moved closer, much closer to doing what I wanted to do. So when the church got together, um, we didn't do any covers and we had a whole bunch of songs I'd written. And then when the band got a, a little bit good, we did our own recording on the four track machine, which produced some very superior demos because it's hard to imagine, but back in 1980, um, it's very hard to get control of what you wanted to do. You go in a studio and there'd be all these guys, the engineers and producers or whoever it was, whoever was running the show would always try and talk you out of doing whatever it was that you wanted to do. And they would always have a better idea of how you should do it. And um, so we made our own demos and the first record company we took it into, which was this guy who who had reactivated Parlophone and Northern Songs for EMI Records here. The first guy who heard it. Um, the, the legend is I wasn't there. I didn't take the tape in. Peter did, took a cassette in. And the guy said, oh, I'm too busy to hear it. Just leave it here with my secretary. And then the second in charge came out and said, um, I'll have a listen. So Peter went into his office with him and he put it on. And as he started liking it, he turned it up more and more until eventually the big head honcho ran in and said, what is this? What is this? <laughs> and we said, it's the church and we got a deal. It was a bad deal, but we immediately got a deal. <laughs> and we immediately, by having a deal, it means we could be on the circuit. Like yeah. we could, and we had a, um, he, he bought us some new equipment. Um, and, um, we immediately had this kind of, we were legitimized right. and okay. we got an yeah. agent. We had an agent, we had a tour manager and all of this kind of thing. And no, we didn't do any covers. Um, we didn't play any covers at that stage. Um, we were like just doing our own songs and we, we had a lot of our own songs. Um, well, that's probably why you had such a great sound that you've always been your own. Cause I know a lot of rock bands that did covers, you can kind of hear their covers in them. And over the years, they evolve into their own sound. You guys didn't have that in your way. You just were yourselves from the gate, you know? So, you know, there was no looking back and saying, oh, I was influenced here. Your first album, you know, doesn't go far from anywhere else. You know what I mean? It's you guys. I mean, obviously, yeah. there's, song, there's song growth, of course, and we learn our instruments and production and that kind of changes. But the core of who you are has always been there. Yeah. Um, we... It, it it's it seemed like we've sort of we formed fully formed like Athena springing from Zeus's forehead, <laughs> um, and but that but there have been a lot of me spending like three or four years just working on all the songs like mm. really no we didn't have any covers um, I'm struggling to think when we start I think once we were well established um, once we were well established we dabbled a little bit doing covers we did yep. um easy covers covers that weren't very hard to learn um like um we did uh a song by mark boland called desdemona which was um his song he did in john's children we did it's all too much by the beatles um but we didn't because i had written so many songs and mm -hmm. and we had it, it was sort of it just didn't feel necessary to do those covers. And was it a challenge though, being a new band with original music and playing out to the audiences though back then? Like I don't know what the it, scene was it, back then. 
It was well. The, in in Australia, we had the famous pub rock scene where um, pub rock had exploded, and every every bar in Sydney had a band playing there. It was like a legendary golden time that people speak about. Yeah, you know, I still do interviews, and people go, "Tell me what was it like?" You know, during the pub rock rock explosion in Sydney, and um, it's sort of like a it's it's like the 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 um the big bang where it all started <laughs> you know um it, it it sort of came along australia had a bit of was struggling a bit in the late 70s with the sort of i think everything had kind of run out of um, momentum a bit and then there was right. this explosion and all these all these bands poured forth in that way it was good and it was easy and it was good to be part of that in another way um the music that the music that was sort of being successful was like bluesy rock and roll, you know, ACDC mm-hmm. kind of, there's a lot of um, that there's a lot, lot of that kind of shouting and screaming and sweating. And the church were, the church were really the opposite of that, which was a good thing because it, it gave us something to, to rebel against as well. It gave us a, I think it's always good um, to have have something that you you don't want to be and go. We're not going to be like that. We're going to be something else. Right. And for a while, it was for a little while before we got our first sort of hit single, which was with our second song. Um, th- there was a TV show in Australia called Countdown, and in 1980, and this show had been an institution for a long time. And in 1980, uh, there were no other video shows. There were mm-hmm. no shows that had bands or um, no no shows to play video or anything. And we got on that show because we're on the EMI. We, we, they got us on this show and we played Unguarded Moment and it kind of took off. Um, it, it was quite one of those rags to riches sort of stories um, where one day we were the day before the show, we were playing to nobody, and the day after the show, there were nine hundred people at the gig. Wow! Um, that literally happened, and and then that was that was it. And then we then we sort of people who were coming to see us sort of knew what they were going to get. So we 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 done we done a lot of that hard bit, you know, like where you know people weren't coming along and yelling out for us to play ACDC songs. Um, <laughs> Mind you, you know, the people who are yelling out for ACDC, one imagines that they were at ACDC shows when ACDC first started yelling out for something else. Um, no matter what you do, there's always somebody there heckling you and sort of wanting something else. So, yeah, so um, after, so in mid-1981, this song got played on Countdown. It was an immediate hit. And we sort of immediately were, we were doing very well in the big cities, but we didn't translate so well in the country areas mm-hmm. and the sort of, um, the further you, you got away from Sydney and Melbourne, the less friendly the audience were towards us. They didn't really like our, they didn't like our big city sort of shtick. You know what I mean? So well, yeah, it's very, it was very so, different. From from what rock and roll, you know, from what the rock and roll everybody knows, it was much more dreamy and 
the sounds were, you know, ethereal and they were just, you know, so different. You know, you guys were different sound. Yeah. Well, not everybody liked that different sound. They still don't. Um, and there were a lot of amusing, you know, I, it's, it's funny. I have a, a memory for all the sort of things that happened in the early days. For example, playing some godforsaken town in Western Australia um, and this woman yelling out, you're not worth seven bucks. <laughs> and I said, if you don't like it, madam, you should leave. And she went, I can't. I've spent too much money. <laughs> and sort of like um, another time um, I, got re- I got really tired of unguarded moment and having to play it and the sort of the, the silliness that we had. We had so many songs. They all, they, you know, they pretty much all sort of sounded much of a muchness. It was crazy that you would love unguarded moment but didn't like the song that came before or after that. It was like, um, so um, I remember one night we did a gig um, and I said, we're not going to play Unguarded Moment. And when we finished, we left the stage and there was this awful commotion going on downstairs. And the manager came up, uh, up the stairs to the dressing room and said, I don't know what they want, but you better fucking go out there and play it, mate. You better go out there and play it. So we went down. We went down and played it, and sort of a riot was um, the riot was nipped in the bud. But yeah, that's interesting. Actually, that's so that's a real good question. I mean, you have so much music as we're talking about. You're getting ready to release your 26th album, you know. And yeah. I, I know a lot of your albums. I couldn't name everything top of my head, but like when I listen to your albums, even if it's an easy one, like people would say Starfish, but any of your albums in the past couple of years, they're solid albums. And you, I don't, you can just put it on and just listen to the whole thing. You can't. You really can't tell the difference. It's not you're not to me. You're not a singles band. It's a whole album when I put it on, and that's what I like about your your band. I can put it on and not have to worry about skipping songs. It's you know, it's an atmosphere. It's a mood. You know, that, that's that's the way I saw it. It's like if you like unguarded moment, you like especially at that stage. You know, like we had unguarded moment and ten little unguarded moments. <laughs> um, I even started. I even started joking around. We were doing this gig in a place called Wollongong in 1981 and the audience, they were like pinned against the back wall okay. and they wouldn't come anywhere near us. And I said, this next song we're about to play is based on an ancient Assyrian goat, um, goat melody where the shepherd would play the, or the goat herd would play this melody and the sheep and the goats would come home immediately as soon as they heard it. And the audience are like looking at me. And then we start up the da-da-da. And sure enough, <laughs> sure enough, they all came forward. And then as soon as it was, with no sense of irony, and then as soon as it was over, they were like sucked to the back wall again. You know, it was, it was like, oh, that's it was incredible. Well it, it, it was, you know, they didn't, they didn't even think about it. it was, I know, um, makes it even funnier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I became I became sort of resentful, um, even though I sh- I should have been grateful. I was resentful that this one song seemed to have so much. Um, Little did you know, clout. right? That that was going to yeah. get bigger songs, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that yeah, there was worse, more to come. How did you deal with that though? Because I mean, the one thing with with the biggest under the Milky Way is it does having a little more of a sweeping chorus. And I just think that's because the production pushes it out there a little bit more. It's still the same type of songwriting. It's just, I think the production makes it 
go a little bit more out there and a little more poppier. I mean, that's just my take on it when I listen to it. Cause like yeah. reptile, uh, reptile is my favorite. I, it's like one of my favorite and it's, it's full of, it's all the nuances of your music. You have to listen to it like a few times to really get it. You can't be like, you know, rocking out to it. You have to listen to it a few times and absorb it. And then you becomes a um, you know part of you. Yeah. Well, within, within the sort of the, the cartoon medium of rock and roll, we are one of the, you know, we are one of the more thoughtful bands that, you know, we have, you know, we're not, it's not all sort of screaming and. Right. It, it, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's got a little bit more to it than that. You know, it's not, it's not fucking Shakespeare, but it's, you know, it, it's designed for a more sort of a more thoughtful experience. There's a, there's a, a slogan. The, like a more the, for a more thoughtful experience. Try like the like the like the cool after party. What you guys are? <laughs> What's that? You guys are like the cool after party. You know. Yeah, <laughs> the cool after party. <laughs> you know, you can like chill back a little bit and still listen to it, and kind of it's, it's an atmosphere, it's a vibe, it's a exactly, sound, you know? exactly. You know, that's I, that's why I put you on. That's the kind of I listen to all types of music. It depends on my mood, you know. And when I'm, you know, that's good music to be listened to when I'm doing stuff. It's just. A good, a good vibe, yeah. you know. It's just there. It absorbs the the atmosphere, you know. I, I think, I think it's because I grew up. I was in the right place at the t- right time, growing up, and the Beatles, of course, dominated everything. And you know, very rapidly, the Beatles shed the thing they started with, and for a while there, everything they did was like this wonderful new experiment yeah. in sound. And the lyrics were, you know, they were they were challenging and thought provoking, and um, suddenly th- these guys were coming from a different place where nobody had come from before. Like John Lennon was sort of singing from this place of um, of alien, you know, with Strawberry Fields. He was right. singing a song. It sounds like he's coming from a million miles away. All kinds and of singing about yeah, yeah. But he's detached. Yeah, it sounds like he's singing from a telephone from a million miles away and he, yeah. he's you know you know all of the you know that's the has all gone away and it's a guy going you know you know um you know there's no one in my tree i guess it must be i'll and suddenly you've got someone who's very unsure of themselves doesn't really know what's happening and you know, when all of this kind of when when they started experimenting and the other bands were experimenting and this sort of really lovely golden age of where singles were art, right? You know, you could turn on the radio and if you were turn on the radio in nine sixty seven, you heard Strawberry Fields forever. You were hearing a, a not only a hit single and damn catchy wonderful song, but a work of sonic art that I would still boldly say rivals anything that anybody ever did, including whoever you like, you know, your Bach or your Louis Armstrong or whoever the hell you think is, was a great and wonderful innovative musician. I, in my opinion, I put strawberry fields forever. For example, down there is like the day things changed. Um, So it was very, very, I always, I always thought that, sort of music and the lyrics especially. Um, we used to have a lot of arguments over this in the church. The, the, the other, some of the other guys would try and get me to listen to stuff. 
and there'd be a singer over the top going, ah, I'd be like, I can't listen to that with that guy doing that, <laughs> singing like that, singing all this stuff. And they go, I'll just ignore the singer and just listen to what the guitars are doing. But I couldn't. I couldn't ignore the singer. I sort of, <laughs> I was spoiled by this stage. I wanted to hear, I wanted to hear something sort of clever or profound or magical, spiritual um, in the lyrics. And I think growing up with the Beatles, them constantly setting that bar with each song, each album, each thing that they were doing. And then, of course, um, Mark Boland, T-Rex and David Bowie came along and I had this real, really high standard of what I thought a, a song should do. Um, and I, I, ended, I ended up hating a lot of stuff and sort of, um, as I was saying before, the stuff I hated was guiding me as much as the stuff I loved. <laughs> in the, I would hear something absolutely terrible and go, I have to make a note of everything that's going on in this so I, I won't be like that. So... Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not an. I, it's not easy to please me with music, but the things I do love, I love with an unbridled passion. Yeah, I, I do. I do love music. I do love rock and roll, um, and and those really, those things that manage to pull it off. The thing that I'm looking for uh, makes me happier than any anything else. Any other sort of sort of entertainment could possibly do there's it's left me very dissatisfied with sort of i don't know guns and roses and stuff like that which is just the same old slop sort of regurgitated you know um over and over i i don't like that sort of really? lead singer you know the lead singer I you know like axel or uh, you know, I, I'll get myself in a lot of trouble if I keep going. But all of those lead singer types are like, "Little girl, I love you so." I'm like, "No, I, that doesn't do it for me. I, I want, I want something a bit more profound than that." But so that that was easy because I, the my parameters were as I at this point I keep on making over and over. My parameters were defined as much by what I hated as as by what I loved. That's fair enough. Fair enough. Enough. Different stuff. So for me, it depends on where my where my head's at in that day and that music. I can appreciate a yeah. lot of different stuff. Yeah. What about yeah. the we're talking? What, what about what about Queen at the time? If we're talking about Queen. Rock. Yeah. The band Queen. Yeah. Okay. I I um I loved I loved Queen. Um, and he was a bit like that. He was a bit of a lead singer, but they had, um, of course, like everybody else, I thought. Bohemian Rhapsody was an absolute masterpiece. Absolutely. And absolutely. And Brian May's guitar playing. I really like Queen. I went off them in the later days as when they were doing another one, Bites of Dust and stuff, stuff like that. But no, I really like Queen and I really like Freddie. And I was rare right from the go. I had their first album um, that had that marvel, marvelous song. Liar! I have sailed the sea. Liar! From Mars to Mercury, <laughs> I thought that was I love stuff like that. Um, I thought Freddie was pretty, uh, pretty wonderful, um, and I, I I remember um, queuing up outside a record shop in in Canberra where they had imported the the second album, and I just couldn't wait to get my hands on it. And there was only one copy, and mm -hmm. there were a load of people trying to get their hands on it. Um, so no Queen, 
I wouldn't say they were a sort of a formative influence, but I certainly went through my periods of well, we're talking really about rock and roll, think, yeah, which you liked. Yeah. What I think is interesting, and I just want to put a little note on it, is at that time, people look back now and they're like, I love Queen or I love David Bowie, but people forget at that time when they were doing these different albums, these albums were not all being hit out into the park, you know? David Bowie, Lodger, and, and doing the Berlin stuff, it, people liked it, but it was not busting the charts. Yeah. The early Queen stuff You're... was not cracking it. People, so if you no. liked them back, so if you liked them at that time, you liked something very special. It wasn't because they were popular. You liked them because you liked the fact that every album was different, even if it was a, a technical flop in the world of album sales, but not as far as being a fan of music. You know, um, yeah, um, it's 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 hard to, it's hard to remember now how unpopular Low was. Low yes. got terrible. Low yes. got the worst reviews. Um, all these so-called big critics. I remember Charles Shah Murray. I was very influenced by what I, I read. All my new musical uh, or my music magazines. You New Musical Express, Melody Maker, and in America, Cream and yep. Rock Scene, and all these. And um, I read Charles Shah Murray said, "If Bowie's going to make music like this." Maybe him and Eno should just exchange tapes in the post and leave the rest <laughs> leave it, the rest of us out of it. Um, <laughs> yes, and Queen, unlike when you see their movie where they sort of just suddenly they, the they top, had right. like yeah, there was like three albums before yeah. that really happened. Yeah, um, they barely made it. They barely made it before they got dropped. I mean, that's the whole thing. Nowadays, they would have made it. You don't get three albums to make it. You will get one. A lot of the bands. Any, actually, any of these bands would have would, back then would not have made it. You know, it took a three or four albums before they broke, and then the old then they then they went back to the other ones and they went platinum or whatever you want to say. Like you know, it's like they came back and you know the fans went back about the old ones, but those were not platinum albums at the beginning. They were very small. You know, it was the a whole, niche crowd. You know, the whole way it works now is so different. Um, you know, it's not even about albums anymore. Um, I, it's only us right. old fellows who are even talking and thinking about albums. And, um, you know, I most people. Of, I got just, tons of them. I love them. <laughs> yeah. It was just a, it was a great moment in, in music where, you know, because of the, the 40 minute limit that you could have on, you know, 20 minutes per side. I think 40 minutes was just at, at the LP record accidentally fell into a great I think 40 minutes is a great listening it's a great um, t- um I think it's easier span. I think it's easier yeah. for me to hit that attainable mark of having 40 minutes of good music 60 minutes for some bands was, was stretching it some people well, could do it some bands could do it but not everyone most bands at 40 you could hit that mark it was a lower mark yeah yeah um we found out I think when it was possible to put more music when in the dawn of the CDs, mm-hmm. it seemed to me, oh, the more music you put on there, the more people will like it. But I that I found that not to be the case, and I found that um, you could give them too much and exhaust yeah. their attention span. So forty minutes is a great is a is a really good sort of um, length to ask for someone's attention. How have you been able to find a balance? Because obviously, in the history, you once you guys. Did Starfish and then, you know, Under the Milky Way and Reptile and then other songs you've had, you know, later on, Metropolis. You've had a bunch of hit singles, you know. 
how have you been able to come to terms with that and still do your new stuff? Because you have a lot of new material constantly going through the years. You know, you didn't stop at that, you know, that period. How do you well, keep it, it fresh? It's funny. It's funny. I just, I just read a guy. I was looking at a church fan page today on Facebook while I was waiting for this interview to start. And someone's put up a picture of Heyday. And one, one guy's written, they will never do anything as great as this again. Like, he already knows he, sh- he, he should be betting on horses and predicting the future. He knows that we will never do anything as good as that again. Um, and, you know, it's that whole cliche of people, oh, I like your old stuff better. Um, and people are already, people already know that your new stuff ain't going to be as good as your old stuff. They already, and everybody's sort of up against that. Paul McCartney and Neil Young and whoever the hell it is. Um, people tend to want their old stuff. Um, Which is so a shame. I'm, There's so much good well, stuff out it, there. I guess it is if, if you if your new stuff is does happen to be as good as your old stuff. Um, it's a shame that it's not going to get the be greeted with the same open mindedness. Right. Well, but I, I think I'm sorry. Speak. No, I'm just saying, I think everybody's up against that. I don't think I'm the only one. I think there's yeah, most yeah. fans of most bands sort of like like this golden period of, of stuff that they did. They, they don't necessarily yep. like the, the new stuff so much. Well, I'm going to say, two, I actually make two points. First off, the, the term one-hit wonder makes me crazy because there's no such thing as a one-hit wonder. Just because that song got popular does not mean everything else ceased to exist before and after that one song they did, you know, which is insane to me. I think one thing somebody did it's all they're known for. That being said, a lot of people find these songs, they're emotionally connected to it. It's usually in high school. So usually when they find you can't do better than, you check the age of the person. It was a moment in time where they were like, they had all these good memories and they attached their memories to your music. So 40 I years totally later, 20 years, 20 years later, now you're doing a different job and you're not a carefree teenager and you hear a song. You're not in the same mindset. You're not that same person. So you're going to you're gonna take it and absorb the music differently. If you're a curmudgeon and not not really, you know, being that same open-minded teenager, if you've already been affected by the world, you're not that same person. Most people, you know, I still like new music, but a lot of people just like, that's why they don't go on. They can't go past it. They want to go back and, and relive it instead of just enjoying, oh, those were some fun old songs and, and then some new songs. Like, I like the mixture, but they like the old stuff. That's what, you know, that's why the retro is big because it brings back to their old days, you know, the carefree mind. It's it's emotional. And you can't beat I totally that. agree you know, totally agree with you. Totally agree with you. you. You, you make a connection with someone when they're 16 and this was a song they lost their virginity to or whatever the hell it is, you know, and then you can't, you can't ever compete with that in the cold light of day 40 no. years later. No, but as and, a songwriter, I accept least, that. yeah, the songwriter, if you usually well, make the connection once, that's pretty awesome too. <laughs> because oh, it helps totally. keep the going too. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, totally. One, you know, once upon a time I would have been, if someone said you can make this connection once and that'll be it, I would have jumped at that. Right. Um, but having made the connection once, you long to make the connection over and over and over. It's like but nobody, <laughs> very few people really ever ever can pull that off. Right. But, I mean, you guys had some strong songs though afterwards too. You know, it's just the market. And I think it's funny. It's not like you, you guys changed a lot. Think about it, the 90s, even, you know, even as you guys were evolving and you had some internal band stuff and you had your own struggles, grunge came and then like 
you know, early before grunge and metal, there was disco. Like, there's always a change of the guards every, what, I think eight to 12 years, maybe 10 years is a sweet spot. If you really look at the history of popular music, you know what I mean? And it'll be gone again. So the bands are still around on the top of their game, whether it's a rock, whether it's you guys, you, you know, like a, because to me, you guys are like psychedelic dream rock. Like, you guys are all, to say, consistent through all the good and bad times, you have a strong fan base, you know? And, and being prolific, is, is amazing the fact you guys are still writing songs and strong albums you know yeah well what one one hopes so well i've liked your things done so far you know pressure's on you now for this next one number 26 what's yeah, going on with it let's I talk know. about it a little bit okay um let's promote it we okay um well we began it in 2019 with our new lineup which is um me and Tim Poles, who's been with us for a long time now. Mm-hmm. Ian Hogue on guitar. He's been with us 10 years now. He joined in um, 2013. Um, and Jeffrey Kane, who was once the songwriter and guiding light for a band called Remy Zero. He, he's, he joined the band. And we also got a new another guitarist, um, Ashley Naylor, who's a, um, a guy from Melbourne who's a sort of a he's a sort of a guitarist du jour you know if you're putting back if you're putting a band together and want to get yeah one of the best most accomplished guitarists yeah he's a dash nailer yeah yeah so um with this new lineup um we started this record and then there were a, a series of disasters australia nearly burnt to the ground um as you remember back in 2020 um yep. It was a very doomy sort of feeling in the air with, with what happened here with the bushfires and like we we were losing like the, a million animals a day and That's entire heart, heartbreaking heartbreaking it's real heartbreaking and then of course COVID hit and everything slowed right down um, eventually uh, last year the album was sort of seemed to be not going anywhere. And I jumped in and I sort of took over and um, I saw sort of with my just sheer willpower, I, I, I got it finished. We're still, even now, we're still doing our last minute tweaks and adjustments. What are we looking um, at for a release? What are you looking at, you think? Well, unfortunately, it's now going to be March 2023, but we have a new single, well, single, I use that term loosely. We have a track that's like six and a half minutes long um, with a video coming out, which will be a taster from the album. Yeah. Um, uh, that's coming out within the next few weeks. Awesome. Um, and, then, and then we'll have, then we'll have, you know, as they say, drop, we'll drop tracks. <laughs> I really don't yeah. like that. It sounds like a, rabbit droppings yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um we, we will drop we will drop some tracks until next year when the whole damn thing comes out yeah okay cool and you guys are touring right now right you guys are doing a mixture uh we're about yeah we're about to um we're about to do a tour of australia uh just one night in each city that's very cool that's very cool i want to thank you there's one thing i actually want to talk about real quickly though with yeah it's always kind of this another thing that bothers me but just like the one hit wonder thing it always bothers me when a band at your point, you are the captain of the ship. You've changed members. People fall in love once again with the original members, and then the, then the band goes on, 
they get a lot of garbage from other fans. Like it's not the same band. I, I didn't like that. How have yeah. you, have you gotten a lot of, a lot of um, slack? Yes. Yes. You? Yes. I mean, to me, to me, um, it's like, I, I like to say, I'm sorry, but to me, it's like, it's like you, you, you meet a family and, and a husband and wife and they're married, but then they get divorced and you get remarried again. And then it's like saying, well, I liked your original family. I can't like you now. <laughs> because it's a new person and a new dimension because the mom and dad didn't work out. You know what I mean? It's unfair. Um, well, I always, I always sort of, I always remind them that um, these guys, these guys did. Yeah. Um, I was one that Peter who left in 2019. Yeah. He did almost years in this band. Um, Marty did 30 years. Um, and they'd had enough. They, for, for whatever reason, um, personal reasons, um, musical reasons, geographical reasons, they'd had enough and they didn't want to play anymore and they wanted to leave. And I'm faced with the option of not carrying on, but there's this huge, huge body of work that. I mostly wrote that is that is most right. Well, all of the words are mine and a lot of the music is completely mine or the rest of the music is music that I had a lot to do with. And I didn't see why I should stop. Um, why, why the band should stop just because individual members left. And so I recruited new members who were fans of the band and, so the new guys are all fifteen years younger than me, and they're sort of they're in their early fifties and stuff. Um, but they were fans of the band; they wanted to play this music, and they also wanted sort of building on this legacies of stupid word, really, for rock and roll. It's like you, it's crazy to think of rock and roll in terms of legacies and things like that. But this huge body of work, I wanted to go on being able to play it and exploit it and use it and. I didn't feel like with any of those people leaving that meant I couldn't do it. And but I do, I do cop a lot of flack. You know, people go, "It's just the Kilby band." You know, I miss Marty. No matter what you, you know, no matter. Well, then, what, then you can write him a letter. Write Marty a letter, but it's not Marty, the band right now. There. I miss Peter. No Peter. No Marty. No church. There's this this sort of thing gets said over and over and over. I think they just exist. They have no intention of ever seeing us again or coming to listen to right. records. But they exist to sort of um, haunt, haunt the, pa- the church pages and, and say this same old thing they always said. I imagine, I'm, I haven't looked into it that closely, but I imagine it's like that for other bands as well. It is, and that's why I was bringing it up, because it doesn't, to me it doesn't matter. Okay. Okay. To me, it is for every band. To me, it doesn't matter. Like you know, as I'm saying for your side, like for musicians, that it doesn't matter that you change people, whether it's whether it's, it's um, a legal reason or somebody retires or somebody's sick. It doesn't matter if the band keeps going. If, the, if somebody doesn't like it as a fan, you can just stop listening. Well, they. This is what happens. They go. One guy wrote to me and went, "You can't carry on with the band. You're just a voice and a bass guitar." And it seems logical that if you have a band that is with two guitarists that are making up the sound of the band, that's what people like, that if those guys leave, how can the bass player 
have the gall to carry on. But what they don't realize is that I created, and I always did, and that's what I do more than anything else, I create the situations for the guitarists to do their thing in. Yep. I, 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 I set up the circumstances for them to be able to do their thing. And they wouldn't have done those things if that they did if I hadn't created the circumstances for them to do it. If you go and listen to what records those guys are doing now, I'm sure it doesn't sound anything like the church. So it's very simplistic to go, how can you keep going? You're just a, a bass player and a singer. But you look at Phil Linnett, you know, in Thin Lizzy. He had the guitarists and they were the thing. And then when those guitars dropped out, he went. He kept on going because it was his band. It was his name. He was the. He did write the songs. Well, every, he was yeah. the... Especially if you're the voice, and, and, it's even easier for you. You know, you are the voice, so you can replicate guitars. You can replicate the drums. You know, I mean, it's hard, with a purist, you can see, but a voice, you can't always copy a voice. So the fact that you were the singer and the songwriter is the strongest lead point of the music anyhow. You know, you know, most people aren't going to catch that. Even Ian Anderson from Jethro Tull still gets garbage. It's not Jethro Tull, you know, because he doesn't have Martin. You know, I mean, so like it's nobody ever gets a break from not having the same people all the time. There you go. Um, you know, right from the beginning, um, one of the guy who signed me up, he said, you know, you should call this band Steve Kilby and the Church or you're asking for a load of trouble down the track. And um, I didn't want to do that. I wanted it to sort of look and feel like we were like the Beatles. Yeah. But they were all contributing equally, but it wasn't like that. Um, they did contribute, but they... They needed a they needed a sort of a um they needed a template that they they couldn't figure it out how to have their own template and how to we wouldn't have got anything done if it if I hadn't been bold enough to sort of go, you know, we're gonna do this and we're gonna mm -hmm. do that and get the ball rolling. That's often the hardest thing when you're in a studio with a bunch of guys and is to get the ball rolling, to get that first note played. And I've, I've seen that, I see that with other musicians. They don't know how to get the ball rolling. And that was the one thing I was always very good at. When back in Canberra, when I started, uh, you know, I was just 19, all the bands were playing Black Sabbath, Black, Black Sabbath and Led Zeppelin and Deep Purple. And I had the gall to write my own songs. And um, I, had the, I had the gall to get my own ball rolling. And that's always what I do and um, what I'm kind of best at is giving other players, great players, great guitarists. I could never play like them. I wouldn't even try to. But they need a context in which to play. And that's why, say, Mick Ronson was an amazing guitarist, but you took away David Bowie's context for him to play in, right. and he didn't do anything. He didn't know what to play. And that's what I do, and that's what I will always do. And is I, I get great players and I, I give them something to play that they wouldn't they wouldn't have done w without me doing that. Right. I, I agree. And I think that's the thing. I think I wish people, if you're truly a music fan, you just enjoy the music. You can have favorite periods. You can have favorite songs. But to expect everything to be the same or, or, or it's a different band. I mean, if it's all different members, it's not really the band anymore. It, it's, that's different. Don't you think, it's, it's silly. Don't, 
don't you think they, that these fan websites and stuff, they are just, people are just wanting an argument. Um, I so. Like I, I was a, I was a, I am, I have been a vegetarian my whole life. Like, a, and for a while I went through a militant stage where I'd write stuff on my Facebook or my blog, you know, about vegetarianism. Yeah. I have vegetarians in my family. Just, I know how hard it is. We have to do separate meals in my house. So I know how I see it. <laughs> there you go. It's um, a challenge. But I found that people just want to argue. And, and now that Marty and Peter have gone, it gives these same old people the chance to go, it's not the church without Marty and Peter just saying the same old thing. Well, those, those guys ain't ever coming back. Um, they don't want to, you know, um, they don't want to do it anymore. They had enough. I, but as you say, Ian Anderson's still copying it, you know, because he hasn't got Martin Barr in the band or whatever. Totally. Like, He's had some great guitars. I mean, they've been, the last guitarist, before he just got a new one in, had been there for a great length of time too. And it's like fantastic. His name's escaping me, so I, forgive me for that. He was a great guitar player. He always puts good musicians around him. And it's yeah. his voice. It's his songwriting. It sounds like Ian Anderson. It's in the Jethro Tull and the, you know, let's be honest, the name Jethro Tull or the name The Church right now are well-known brands. And it's easier to fill a hall. The people are going to know The Church. And from the distance, they wouldn't even know who's in the band except they'll know your voice. You know what I'm saying? So it is yeah. you know, a, a sales point at this point. The brand, you know, that's why The Church is. Why shouldn't you? It's your brand that you built up. But in, you invested the years of sweat and songwriting in. It's your brand. Um, yep. They, What's wrong with that? It's <laughs> um, well, they. It makes them angry, and then then they accuse me. I'm just cashing in. Uh, you, he's just desperate for cash. Um, but I don't. It's like you should. Well, well like, why can't you cash in? You wrote songs. You play music. That's your job. Do people go to yeah. work for free? Are these guys going to work for free every day? They're cashing no, in their jobs. <laughs> That's, oh, what I always, that's why I always ask them, what do you do for a living? Don't you, don't you have to earn your living like everybody else? Yeah. Anyway, um, it seems like that that's just going to be an ongoing thing every time the band does everything, every time we announce the tour. I know. I just had to put my 10 cents in yeah. because I think it's unfair yeah. to the artist, and I yeah. had to put it out there to people that they need to stop. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Respect to you and other artists that do it, you know? It's hard. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's hard. Hey, I want to thank you. For, for coming on tonight. okay sean okay okay it's been great this has been great um i'll let you know All when right. it's out i'll send you this stuff okay, okay. thank you man okay mate thanks for being on the show thank bye you.